Thank you for sharing that, Dave. Appreciate that. And yes, we want to keep the people in Haiti in our prayers as they go through another uh, traumatizing experience there and devastating, I'm sure. And yes, children, young people, we can all be witnesses for Jesus. And uh, maybe someone is calling someone here to go somewhere uh, away from home and share the love of Christ. If I were to ask you, if you uh, could tell me if the last two verses just preceding the last book of the Bible have been shared here recently, what would you say? And you don't have to answer, but think about it. How many of you think those verses have been used across the pulpit in the last month here? There's a couple of you. Um... Turn with me to the book of Jude. Actually, you hear those verses on occasion at the closing of a service. Verses 24 and verse 25. But I'd like to read the entire book before we look at those this morning. As we read through the book of Jude... Think about maybe what I would call um, a lot of warnings, maybe almost a a negative tone to the the book. You might say, well, it it looks a lot like the culture we're living in, the world we're living in. And as you look at this, you'll, you'll notice a number of times the word ungodly is used in this book. But then he comes to verse 24 and 25, and that's what I want to focus on this morning. But maybe... It's better to see it in its context of the whole book because we can look at the culture around us and often get a little discouraged or a little concerned. Just yesterday, I uh, I went up to the bank there in New Paris and was waiting on something and a young man came in and uh, looked like a decent young man. wasn't totally impressed with the way he was dressed, but he didn't. He looked like a decent young man, and then suddenly I noticed as he was standing there, his uh, fingernails were all painted a certain color, a dark color, and I thought, well, maybe he just lost a bat or um, he fallen asleep and his sister got a hold of his hands or something. I didn't know. He gets up to the counter, and I heard the teller which disturbed me as much as the other, telling him how she, oh, that's neat. Oh, I like how you're, oh, well, he said I was looking for a neon green, but I couldn't find a neon green, so I just used this and that, and they chatted about this, and I was thinking to myself, where is our culture headed? Uh, And so as we look around us, that was just one little thing that happened yesterday. So we look around us, maybe we feel a little bit like Jude, But I want to focus on the last two verses this morning. Let's read this book. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, 
who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you into remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment of the great day. <clears throat> Even Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them! For they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, Wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust and their own and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. We often use that benediction, or we do sometimes, and we don't think about it, I don't believe, or at least I don't, in the context of a book of such warnings about <clears throat> those who are false teachers, those who are practicing sin, and then he comes to those last few verses before this, and he says to keep yourself in the love of God. And he gives some instructions there. Well, when he gets to this verse, and he says, now. I'd like to focus on that word just a little bit. He says, now unto him, now. So he's went through all of this talking, and he gets to that word, and it says, now. And I was kind of wondering, why, why the word now there? 
And a number of translations will translate it that way into the English. Now, but that word in the Greek is actually translated um, over 1,200 times as but, but unto him. It's, it's a transition. It's this is this, but this. Or it's sometimes translated and. It's also translated as also or moreover or nonetheless. And I think about it in this context and I think it kind of, he's saying finally or in conclusion. Or maybe he's saying uh, something like, but let us not forget this. Don't be so disheartened. So we live in this culture and we see the things around us and we can get discouraged and we can preach a lot of messages of warning, which we need to. Uh, the book, the Bible is full of warnings, Old Testament and New. But if, if we don't sometimes stop and realize that we have hope, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in our lives, we can become very discouraged and, and frankly, not a lot of use in the kingdom if that's where we get to. So we need to f- sometimes think about some of the other things. So he says here, now, or finally, or in conclusion... He says, unto him that is able. And as we think about unto him, unto him what? What what are we saying unto him? It's almost as though he says unto him, and then there's some things there that could almost be in parentheses. And then we move down into verse 25. And unto him should be glory and majesty, dominion and power. And we're going to come back to those later. But I'm going to jump away from those for just a moment. And think about this idea of keeping you from falling. Unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Well, I don't know uh, if you sometimes feel maybe a little hopeless. Maybe when it comes to how do I know teaching is good and, and, and right? How do I know for sure that I'm hearing the truth? How do I know Terrell's actually telling the truth and expounding on the word properly and and how do I keep from falling into this or that? Um, even uh, with all the false teaching that's going on, all the temptations that are around us, the, the scorn of Christianity in our culture today, and even your own sinful flesh, how do you keep from falling into these things? How do you keep from falling away from God? Maybe I should ask you this tempting or question. What is tempting you right now to fall? Is there something in your life that's tempting you to fall? Is there an area where you're being tempted? Or maybe where you have fallen? But I'm thinking more of maybe some things that that are really tempting you and you're struggling with it. Maybe it's just discouragement. Maybe it could be a a lot of things. You know what's going on in your life. Uh, What is it that maybe is tempting you right now to fall? And is he able to keep you from falling in that area? I believe he is. I believe if he really has the glory and the majesty and the dominion and the power, then he is able to, to keep you from falling. Now, he has given us some things to help us to keep from falling. He's given us his word. And I'm thankful that when I fall, when I fail in an area that I can read the word, I'm convicted and I see that and I'm, I learn how to, to grow. God has given us as Christians His Holy Spirit to help us to keep from falling. And in that, He has given people a conscience. Now, we can sear our conscience, 
Uh, we have the brotherhood to help us keep from falling. We have our families. We have others that we can, we can go to to ask for help and, and to keep, help keep us from falling. But Jesus Christ himself is the one who was able to keep us from falling. Now, does that mean that you cannot fall? Because he has the power to keep you from falling, so you can't fall. Is that what it means? Well, I was thinking of this example, and, you know, it reminds me, and children do it, little children do it. There comes a point where they get a little leery on it. But, you know, you can uh, maybe set a child in the back of a pickup bed or somewhere, and, and you put your arms out, you know, and they just, they'll just come right out, you know, and they just fall right into your arms. Now, there's nobody here to catch me, and probably nobody here big enough, too, but... Um, you know, they, they just fall right off. You know, I could, there are a number of children here that we could sit right up here on this pulpit and just say, jump into daddy's arms, he'll catch you. They'd do it. They probably wouldn't jump into mine because they're not sure about that guy. But they, because why? They trust. They trust him. They trust them that they will not fall if they go into his arms. Now, I don't know if there's anybody here that I would trust to stand on this pulpit and just let myself fall off and they're going to catch. There's probably a few guys here strong enough to do it, but I don't know if I'd trust anyone. But children will, especially once they've done it and they've been caught and they know it. And so they, they, they have this level of trust and faith. And I, I, that's what I'd like for you to to grasp this morning, as you think about this thing of falling, he's able to keep you from falling. How? Because if you trust in him and you fall into his arms and his grace and his help, you won't fall into sin or you won't fall into the temptation. If you decide I'm not going to fall into him and let him help me, who is able to keep you from falling. He'll catch you, in other words, and hold you. If you say, no, I don't trust that, but I do trust myself. Uh, you know, speaking of jumping off the back of a pickup or something, you know, a child falling into their dad's arms. Well, there's a long time when, between the time when uh, I did that for my dad and then there was a long time when I just jumped right off the back of pickup full speed. Well, that, it's, I don't know if you realize it or not, but they're making pickups a lot higher than they used to. It's farther down. You get to a certain age, and it's like, do I jump or do I kind of just crawl off the back of this thing? You know, I don't know. Things just don't. And so I'm to a point where it's maybe not quite as... Uh, safe to just jump off of whatever I feel like jumping off of. I think too many of us kind of fall in that category in between there where we think we're strong enough to keep ourselves from falling, whether it's into sin or whether it's into discouragement or whatever it is. We look at the culture around us and we, well, I'm going to, I can be strong. I'm going to bulldoze through this thing or we have something that's that uh where we want to uh, we're tempted and we're like oh i can handle this and we just 
we bulldoze, instead of saying, God, I can't, but you are able. You're able to keep me from falling. And so I will fall into your arms and your strength and let you do it, knowing that I'll never hit the ground if, I've, if I trust you. But too often we say, well, God, you kind of get out of the way. I can handle this. And we jump off, and it's like an old guy jumping off of something too high, and it doesn't work very well. It just doesn't work very well. Turn with me just a few pages back in your Bible to 1 Peter, or I'm sorry, 2 Peter. Chapter 3, and we'll look at verses 17 and 18. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. And he was talking here primarily, I believe, if you look at some of the things before this, um, maybe doctrinal things, maybe theological things, but I think this, this goes to any area of our lives. Beware, beware, led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But, here again, there's that word but now, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. God is the one who can. First Peter, uh, chapter one. says there, "Blessed be the God of our Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to His abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead." And this passage here really mirrors the verses we're looking at this morning. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power. That word kept there in the Greek could, be, could mean guarded or uh, surrounded. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, your heaviness through manifold temptations, and it talks then about the trying of your faith and so forth. But notice that we are kept by the power of God. How? Because God's power, and so we're just kept? No, we're kept by the power of God through faith. So we know God has the power. We place our faith in Him, and that is what keeps us. I want to look on at some of the rest of this passage here. Uh, In verse 25 it says, and we'll come back to a couple things there in verse 24. And I'd like to read this in the Williams uh, translation, the Williams New Testament. And so let's look at this great God that we serve, and then we're going to go back and we're going to look at this presenting of the saints. So in the Williams it says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in his glorious presence, faultless and full of triumphant joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, might, and authority, as it was before all time, both now and forever and ever. Amen. Now, in this translation, you'll notice that it talks, it says in verse 25, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and 
it also adds before all time. And there are a number of manuscripts that would have those phrases in it. And if you look at it, even in the King James, you could put those there and it fully, it, it makes sense. But there are many manuscripts that would have those in it. So it says the only wise God. And a number of the manuscripts would say the only God or the only God is who, uh, in thinking about it, attributing wisdom to the only God. It's not as though there are a number of gods out there, a bunch of gods. Now, the only wise one is the one that we serve, but the rest of them, they're, not, uh, they're just not quite as wise. As, no, it's saying the only God, to the only God, who is wise, who is wise. He has wisdom. And then we, it says here, glory. And I don't know, if, if, you look at this, if you look at this verse, we could have turned to a number of psalms this morning. And the book of Revelation, and, and noticed how many times these, these things like uh, glory, our glorious God, our amazing God, these attributes are, and our praise is given to God. But as we think about it here, it says um, glory, majesty, dominion, and power or authority. Glory, as Lenski would say, is the sum of all the divine attributes and their radiant shining forth is God's glory. And the idea of majesty, that which is great and majestic. I, there are just a couple of verses in Hebrews that you can look at that use the word majesty. It talks about um, Christ and sitting down at the right hand of his majesty. I think there's only a couple of other verses in the, in the Bible that would share this. I think you'll find one in Hebrews chapter 1, maybe about verse 3, and then in, in chapter 8, verse 1, if you want to look those up. It talks about his majesty. His Majesty. Last evening, um, Jonathan came by and uh, picked up a crock pot. He probably wonders, why am I bringing that up today? Picked up a crock pot, and I went out, and we were talking a little bit, and went outside, and it was a beautiful night, and the stars were out. We heard some fireworks or something, so we kind of walked around the backside of the house, didn't see them, and then he went home, and I had commented to him, I said, boy, that hammock hanging over there between those apple trees, I said, this would be the kind of night to just hang, just go get in the hammock. And, um, so after he left, I did. I said, I'm going to go lay in the hammock a little bit and just take in the, the night here. And you know, I was laying there and outside of the uh, annoying flashing light off the tower down there on old Buzzard Hill, um, which if you got down the hammock far enough, you couldn't see it. Other than that, it was, it was so peaceful, and, and stars were out, and a frog or something was making a racket over in a tree, and the night sounds, you know how it is. It, it was just really beautiful, and I just was laying there thinking about these verses, and thinking about the majesty and the, the beautiful creation God has made for us. And there in the dark, you could, you know, you kind of see the trees and this and that, but you could see the, the stars and the heavens, and, and then I was there, and um, saw at least two of them, little satellites going over. And I thought, well, it's kind of amazing what man has been able to do, but it pales in comparison to the majesty of God. And I was thinking about that. This is the God that created all of this stuff and has led us in on it. He's the one that if we rest in him, is able to keep us from falling. That's the God. What an amazing God we serve. 
uh, majesty. It's just, you think about it. Then, then you think about it, it says here, his dominion. And so it's almost two different aspects here. So you have the glory and the majesty. These almost describe something of who God is and, his, and just his attributes. And, and, and then it says dominion and power or dominion and authority. Dominion is really his strength to carry out his purposes. And his power or authority is his, just his divine sovereignty to do it. And he can do as he pleases. And he does that which is right and holy. And part of that is his ability to present you to the Father. Let's go back to, chapter, to verse 25. And it says, to present you faultless. After it says that he's able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless, or to present you blameless. Now, I don't know about you, but I am not faultless. I'm not blameless. How can he present me that way? And, and I know you've heard me talk about this before, and it may be time for another, just a good uh, message, or a message anyway, on justification. How can he present us faultless before this, this God who has dominion and power and he is glory and majesty how we get presented before him do you think about that presented there he is god and and jesus is able to keep us from falling and then not just to keep us from falling but to present us to the father as if he's it would be as if uh he's we think about presenting we think about a present or giving something to someone or if, if I would introduce you to some, one of my friends that maybe you've never met before, and I would say, I want you to meet this brother or this sister, and they are perfect, pure, nothing there to... And of course, they'd probably look at me and say, boy, you've got a high view of your church family there. But the fact is, he can do that. How? Well, justification is what it means, is to be justified, is to be seen as righteous in God's eyes. And Romans, and we could spend a good deal of time in Romans this morning, but Romans makes it very clear that your faith is counted, or it's imputed, or it's put on record as your righteousness. In other words, and I'm going to tell you this morning, you're not covered by someone else's righteousness. You're not covered up with some cloak of righteousness or something like that. Some people teach that. I, I haven't found it in the Scripture yet. The Bible says that your faith is counted for righteousness. Your faith. Now, your faith in what? Just that God exists to go. No, your faith that Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice for sin. That God sent his only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in him. That is what your faith has to rely on. Your faith is not in your ability to catch yourself when you fall or to keep yourself from falling. It's not your faith in yourself. For the people that, that Paul was writing to in the book of Romans, to many of them, it was they could no longer place their faith in following the Mosaic law. 
Your faith has to be placed in the perfect sacrifice for sin, and that's Jesus Christ. And if that's where your faith is placed and you have submitted to him and his lordship in your life, it's not just saying, well, I believe and then that's fine and you go on living like the way you want to live. No, because James makes that very clear. The book of James then, I believe, is, is James and Romans go together so well because James comes along and uses Abraham the same as Paul did and says, now wait a minute. Well, you can say you have faith, but if you don't have works, your faith is dead. I don't believe it. I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, saving faith produces action. And when we have that kind of faith, when we, that's where we place our trust and our faith, then God looks at us and says, your faith is what is counted to you for righteousness. And Jesus can present you to the Father faultless and blameless based on your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, the one who can keep you from falling and to present you faultless with what? With exceeding joy. Now, I... I looked at a couple of different, well, I looked at a number of different translations on that. I, I went down through a bunch of them. And I looked at a, at a commentary. And I'm still trying to figure out for sure. And if, some, if someone here can tell me for sure, I, I, I want to know. Maybe there's a scripture verse that would tell us. There are some other scriptures that talk about our joy and so forth. Is the joy here the uh, with this this exceeding joy, is it the one that has been presented, the one who is presenting, or is it both? I'm inclined to believe it's both. That Jesus can present us to the Father blameless and spotless because of what He did on the cross and because of our faith in that, He can present us to the Father and He has joy in doing that and we have joy. If you think that someday being presented to the holy, righteous God as blameless isn't going to cause you any joy, I don't know if you'll make it. I think that's going to be an exceedingly joyful experience. But I think the presenter will, be, will have joy in the fact that he can do that. You remember when he was going through his suffering... I believe it's in Philippians, where he says that he did it, why? For the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross and the suffering. For the joy. What, what joy? To be able to say he did it? To be able to go back to the Father and say, well, I, I accomplished what you sent me to do. Well, I think that was part of it. But I wonder if part of the joy that was set before him was the fact that he knew someday he would have Saints that he could present to the Father and say, look at these, look at these saints. Justified or, and maybe I just need to add this. You see, the word just, that, the word just, that word family in English and the right word family. In other words, right, righteousness, unrighteousness, whatever, and just, justified, unjustified, justified. 
those two word families in the English both go back to the very same word family in the Greek. And there was an old English word that I wish we still used. I wish it was in our Bibles. And that was, instead of to justify, they would say sometimes that someone was rightified. We have never heard that word, so it doesn't make much sense. But that's what we've been rightified in the eyes of God when we've been justified. And it's that way that he is going to present us faultless to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power. And I like the way it is there before all time and both now and forever and ever. Amen. Why wouldn't we want to praise God? Why wouldn't we want to give Him honor and glory and all of the things that is due to Him when we realize that He is able to keep us from falling and then also to present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy? Let's pray.